Well, how's it going, everyone? Today, we uh, I, I am fortunate to have one of my kind of the reasons why I wanted to be a hero uh, is because uh, this man right here with us today, Matthias Hughes, always portrayed the villain in all of my favorite movies, whether it's like Come in Peace, oh, or Two, Towns of an Eagle, uh, Bounty Tracker. And so, Matthias, um, it's great to have you on here. Thank you, John. Very much that you reached out for this podcast. I'm very honored. And uh, we just, uh, before we started recording, talked a bit about you. And I'm very impressed with your history and what you've experienced in your life. So it's interesting that we talk because a lot of it that you probably have experienced in real life, we try to reenact in movies. Uh, I'm not a real uh, uh, Russian soldier or, you know, I'm nothing real. We just actors playing roles and having to learn from real people maybe like people like you uh if you would uh like what was that movie taking down the white house uh with um, uh, house down and angel has fallen yes that yep. was a wonderful movie and it's people like you that have been there and it would be people like me to want to learn from you if we ever if i would ever be in a movie be the bad guy attacking the white house right right so that's really cool that we talk no it's, uh, it's so Let's kind of jump into it. When you get these movie roles, whether it's now obviously you have a background taekwondo, kickboxing, your health, fitness, it's all great. But when it comes to like the weapons or certain languages or certain cultures, you must have to immerse yourself, right, to be believable. Yeah, I mean, you do have to have uh, an open mind. You can't be close-minded. And if you're an actor, uh, it's all about being uh, willing to be molded in someone that you are not. And uh, I noticed that when I first came to Hollywood, a lot of people wanted to be actors, especially women, but they weren't willing to be anyone but themselves. You have to learn to become other people. Uh, if someone tells you to do something or to learn something, you have to be willing and very open to it. Uh, in some cases, it's ridiculous. You know, these are things that you would never do in real life. And suddenly you're confronted with that. Uh, also, different cultures, you know, you have to adapt to cultures. We travel all the time. I've been literally not all around the world, but in a lot of parts of different type of uh, environments around the world, shooting and promoting movies. And uh, yeah, wow, the world is very different from what we know in America. Yeah. So when you get a, if you're given a role and you're the, you're the villain, we'll say you're the villain, how, is there aspects of a certain character where you kind of tell a director or the stunt guy or producer, hey, let's do this because this is more believable? Because even in your most outrageous roles, whether it's I Come in Peace or Digital Man, mm -hmm. there, you bring a sense of empathy and human to that character, even if they could be the most vile person on earth. Right. You, make them, you make them believable in their vileness. So do you ever have to say, be like, hey, I'll be the bad guy, but let's do this the, this way? I would say as uh, higher the level, as more sophisticated the film, the writers, the people that work on it, and the directors, as less you have to talk about it. Uh, anything on a lower B or C level, people exaggerate terribly, as well as directors asking you to do things that I, I don't believe any bad guy would ever do. I have uh, been traveling, like I said, extensively, and on my travels, I met a lot of real bad guys that are attracted to people like me, so they open up their doors, made me maybe motorcycle people, gangs or something, local heavy hitters, and all of them are extremely charming, 
kind, gentle. You would never know of family-oriented, love animals, that there would be any sort of a bad guy in it. And that is sort of what I learned from uh, you don't see it coming. You never see it coming. And I have a friend that uh, is Russian, Alexander Nevsky, uh, a big movie star in Russia. Uh, he told me, too, he was there during the 90s when Soviet Union fall, fell. Uh, and it was taken over by bad people. And he said that you would never, ever, that they would never yell or scream. It'd be a, a last kiss. And then you don't even know the, the knife is entering you from behind. You know, it's uh, it's that kind of gentleman-like. Uh, we're not talking about street thugs. We're talking about bad guy uh, people that we see in movies, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, the big sheet, the big guys, or even the henchmen. I mean, I've never ever met a dangerous guy that talks a lot. Right, <laughs> right. Just in the shadows, you know he's bad, but you don't know what yeah. he's keeping. Yeah, they keep it to themselves, and it's not usually. It's not the biggest guy. You just, it's just someone that knows how to do it. Boom. And if you're a martial artist, and I'm sure you are, and you've been in the secret service, and you know about weapons, uh, you don't have time to talk. I guess you just do it. Right. You just <laughs> you know. stop the situation and move on. Uh, yeah, yeah. One of my questions actually was about Alexander because I yeah, yeah. on Prime because I watched Showdown Manila and uh, Max oh. of Impact. And mm -hmm. I've noticed that you, you work with people now that you really like working with, whether it's Don the Dragon, Olivier, Cynthia Rothrock, yeah. Yeah. Mark, Mark. And so when it's today's action climate, do you find yourself kind of like I, when you watch movies today, it seems like all the guys are smaller or faster. It's different, like high paced. Where do you see like the action genre now? Because right now, outside Alexander, I don't see a lot of big guys yeah. like you in the industry right now acting like that, playing that character. Yeah, I, I just actually posted something on Instagram, um, having had a picture from TC2000, where I was fighting Bolo Young. We were all muscled out. And then asking my my fans out there, who else do you know right now fitting that type of profile? And um, surprisingly, not many answers. You know, there's The Rock, quite frankly. He's, well, he's above the grain anyway. Uh, J. Michael White, yep. Alexander Nevsky, uh, possibly Chris, uh, Chris Hemsworth training for the Hulk. Yep. And let's not underestimate that because if he really is portraying the Hulk, the physicality that he has to bring to it and the athletic abilities have to be out of this world. I went to wrestling school and I did a wrestling movie. It is not easy to be a wrestler. Uh, so he might be one to look at uh, in that particular genre, but he's an actor's actor who slips into roles and then goes back to where he came from. Right. Uh, just a good looking athletic guy, you know? So, Yes, the trend these days, we'll take an actor, we'll train him, we'll make him looking good, and then we put him in Captain America or whatever, right? right. Uh, it, I don't think people appreciate it. Keanu Reeves is some, someone that we love because he's Keanu Reeves, but people, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, I mean, it speaks for itself. We all grew up with it, right? So that was that motivated millions of people to go to the gym including myself. Right. So I wish they would still have that, quite frankly, you know. Yeah, I miss 
because I, I watch Puppy Iron probably every three months, and I'm not into, uh, yeah, I'm not yeah. into the the working like the heavy lifting. Like I'll do what I have to do to stay healthy and fit and not be sore mm-hmm. in the morning. But there is something, and I think more so now with COVID, with the gyms and stuff being shut down and people kind of losing that whatever. Right. It, I miss. I miss. I wish I grew up back in the day when they had those martial arts fights. Yeah. Up on the beach of Redondo, where you, the Gold's Gym, like you hear all these stories and people like yourself talking about the glory days. It's like, do you think they'll ever come back? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I think none of us knows what's going to happen. Uh, uh, I'm at times I'm a very positive person, like you too. I can see you adjusting to the times, you're doing whatever it takes to communicate you out there. Uh, I'm trying to do the same. I'm a bit worried about uh, the loss of the lifestyle that we have had. And that was the lifestyle in California, for instance. It's unbelievable. I mean, beaches, always good weather. And you have Gold's Gym. And around Gold's Gym, there are all these coffee shops and bodybuilding food sources like Firehouse, uh, where at any given time, any day, you see Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren, Carl Weathers, The Hulk, uh, The Rock, uh, myself, every all of us there eating, training. At any given day, you walk in there, and that atmosphere has given me so much joy and energy and power to be one of be part of these guys. Uh, without that, I would have never made it because you see it. You see that guy, though. You see, like, I see Van Damme in... Uh, I, you know, it motivates you. You see the right. rock walking in and you measure yourself, you know, like other people, me- everyone measures themselves with each other, you know. And But in our uh, small world, everyone is complementary to the next. So I over 30 years, I had seen so many big guys, bigger than me, bigger or whatever, come up to me and say, I saw you when I was 12 years old and I come in peace and I want to be like this. And next thing you know, they're in the movies. Like Andrew Bernowski is one of them. Yep. Yeah. For instance, he was one of the first to do. Hey, who is William? You know, and I was like, oh, this guy's big. Uh, there's so many, and he made it, and quite a few others made it. Uh, John Senna uh, made it. You know, he was picking up weights just yep. like me, like all of us picking weights. We rack them for three seventy-five an hour, maybe. Uh, that that is uh, gone for now. Now, when COVID hit, was there what was your mindset? Uh, when COVID hurt, everything starts shut down, like the whole year of 2020. Where were you at mentally at the beginning, and how did you kind of figure out that hey, this is tough right now, but I deal, I need to be creative and still maintain the level of health and fitness I'm used to. Yeah, well, I, I kind of cheated because I don't. Uh, I live on an island uh, in Bali. Yeah, that's, so, that's... yeah. So it's kind of so when all that hit, I was there, and I uh, have a gym in the house, and I only go swimming, and it's like I live like Tarzan, so to speak. Don't wear clothes. My girlfriend is Jane. You have a monkey and all that. So we out all day long, and then next thing you know, we hear there is a crisis, and it took us eight months to realize it's for real, because we still work out. I never wore a mask. We live on a mountaintop alone. We we don't meet anybody and then the uh, first time we drove into the city i realized oh something changed the mask and they made me put on the mask and then i thought i can't i can't do this uh you know i'm 
I don't know if I ever can be cut out for that type of lifestyle. And then I had to leave to go back to America for some work. And I knew that if I leave Bali, I won't be able to go back there. I just know it. Who knows for, for how long. And the moment I landed, I felt like, oh, this is for real. And I still didn't want to accept it. And I didn't wear a mask on the street. And people saw me. They grabbed their kids and ran on the other side of the sidewalk. And I thought, oh, it is real. This is not like a movie. This is like in a sci-fi movie. This has become reality. And then it took me three months to get used to it. Um, and now I'm not used to it, but I adjusted to it like probably everyone else. You know, I work out in the gym with a mask, can barely breathe, but I'm so grateful. I moved to Las Vegas just so I can go work out. In Los Angeles, everything is closed, right? Right. It's yeah. Have you always been big into the healthy and fitness? Like growing up at a young age, were you always the athlete or is this something... Yeah as you started getting bigger and growing, hey, there's something to this. No, I was always the athlete because I didn't think, I, I couldn't concentrate in school. And I got introduced to a pentathlon, decathlon really early on. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. And we'll see what happens from there. And then I realized that's a full-time job. It takes seven days a week. Every weekend is competition. And then that becomes your life. And then you realize you have a good life. Com competition is a good life, you know. But you don't know how to make a living yet at that point. And then you have to go to the army. And once you're in the army, you usually get sidetracked into other things. But I didn't. I kept training. And then when I came out, that's when I got sidetracked. I had to get a job right. because there's no money in Europe unless you're world champion. I wasn't world champion. Uh, so... I went into the hotel business, but I kept training and I thought one day, just one day, I don't know how this is going to pay off for me because I got bigger, more noticeable. And I noticed when I was a waiter in Paris at these hotels that a lot of these clientele wanted to get to know me personally and invited me out. And next thing you know, I wasn't working there anymore. And I thought, I'll just open up a gym. So I opened up uh, a gym in uh, Germany with the Jane Fonda craze, you know, and that for women only, that was a huge success. And I could work out and was making right. money now, you know. And, uh, but I was always a fan of, of course, Arnold, California lifestyle, Magnum PI, Sun Beach, Muscles, everything is possible. If you just put your mind to it, you can be anybody you want to be. I totally believe it. And it was possible. Uh, in the 80s or 90s, you know. So before you know it, I was in America. One of the interesting things, and we'll talk about your book too, Cheryl uh, said Hollywood, is that when you, how, when you first got starred in No Retreats, No Surrender 2, mm -hmm. it's kind of by luck. And I, I, I just, right. I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you do, you do the hard work and put your time in, the karma and good stuff will come your way. But there also is that, that split second of luck where it's like, if you're at the right place at the right time. Right. Now kind of talk about that, how like before that call came in, you were not doing anything in the movies. No, no, I'm not even an actor. I mean, I couldn't even speak English. It's just, you have that dream. And then, like you said, you're going to have to do something about it. So the moment you go to LA, you land there. The first thing you have to do is survive. You've got to get a job, a place to stay, 
a place to train. And then you ask around, so what's going on? Where are all the movie stars? Where uh, is there an agent in town? How do I get into the movies? And everyone always tells you the same. Well, you're going to have to be uh, seen in the nightclubs. You're going to have to get a job at a doorman. So you get to know the people that go into the nightclub and you got to stand out and then you got to get a headshot and then you got to go get an agent and then you have to have a monologue prepared and you've got to get a manager. And it's so much because you don't speak the language, you don't have a green card, you're here illegal. But you kind of start out doing all these things. You get a headshot, uh, you get a job as a doorman, you get to know people and then someone says, or tomorrow there's an audition for Sylvester Stallone movie over the top and you don't have an agent or anything. It's like, where is it? Oh, it's it's a, a Culver City Studios, you know, and I haven't just be there. So you're there. You right. just wait there with all the other big guys, wait your turn, fake that you haven't, you fake it, everything, you know, social security number, everything fake. <laughs> and you only get so far, of course, you know. Uh, but that's how you start doing it. And I got tossed out there many times places. Or they said, next. <laughs> you know? now, now, you also did bodyguard work for Bob Marley's wife. Yeah, Ziggy Marley. Ziggy Marley. Ziggy it's Marley. Bob, so how did, okay, so how did that come about? Well, because you have to have a job. And then uh, there was this really rich, crazy man who owned all these motels. And uh, these were those one-hour drug hooker hotels, motels in Hollywood and everywhere. And I, my job was to collect money for the people that wouldn't pay and then toss them out if they don't pay and to stop drug dealing and prostitution and stupid job. But my partner was like, I don't know, he was ex-police, but he was in the security business. So he was carrying guns and everything and he needed a muscle. So he hired me. And he was an African-American. He was like my idol, you know, he was like the real deal. And I was so green. And I learned from him. And then he said, oh, I got a much better job for us. Uh, a real bodyguard, five star, you know. And right. turned out to be Ziggy Marley and his mom and all the kids. And that was amazing because this family is so nice. And it's Ziggy Marley, Bob Marley. I mean, he's just like his dad, right? He looks like his dad. He sings like his dad. His concerts are sold out and they are so, I mean, first they were kind of put off. I felt that I'm not African-American because I was blonde and German. And they looked at me like, why would you? you know? <laughs> and then in the end, it was working in my favor because I was different. I was kind of standing out and we became like really close. And they asked me to move to Jamaica. But I said, you know, I want to be an actor. And they said, oh, no, no, you must follow your dream. You know, stay stay in that line. And I did. But it's wonderful to have been exposed to that music, to the culture, the generosity of the Bob Marley family. It's, wow, treated me really well. And the work I they do must be something to really yeah. appreciate, too, because they're hardworking. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, it's not just smoking ganja. <laughs> professional... Yeah professional musicians uh, on every level. They did concert tours, this is just amazing, all sold out. Yeah, through them, I was a nobody, never seen the world, and then you could suddenly in five-star places in Limons and yep. nice hotels, you know, I mean, it's, just, it's not me being there, it's just being there 
being their bodyguard. But that's something you can buy later on. It was a taste of what fame would be. Right. And I liked it. <laughs> now, would you first, one of the cool stories you have is you actually in a gangland shooting. And so how does that kind of, you first get to LA and you're kind of like, what the hell is this? Like, I don't know. How, how do you how do you break that down in your head to be like this is the place I still want to be at? Yeah, but it's so normal in LA, which is scary. Yeah, it's really normal, but it's like you can't evade it. It's just if you work there, you're not gonna you're gonna sooner or later fall victim to random crime. You know, uh, like it's so interesting when Venice in 1980 Ghost Gym was in the most dangerous area of Los Angeles. And from there out to Hawthorne and Torrance, that was a no-go zone for, anti and if you're not a criminal, don't go there. So, uh, but I had a girlfriend in that area and she was white and she was like protected by all the gangs. So I frequently went in there and it's not as bad if you're part of it. Right. It's, if you're an outside, if you're a cop driving through, you would have gotten beat up or chased out, you know. You have no business being there. But the community in itself is also a community, believe it or not. And uh, when I was really known in the 90s, end of early 2090s, I was really known because then all these films came out and every gangster saw it. I could go in any place in downtown safe. All, all gangs would just want to hang out with me, you know, and I was allowed to be there. Now I would get killed. People don't remember anymore. But that was so funny. I was like, wow, I'm just an actor, but they think I'm the real deal or something, you know, and this was really cool. I never had to be afraid of getting killed back then. Now I would get killed too, if I'm at the wrong place at the wrong time, because these people don't know me anymore. Right. Uh, that is that generation. They were, that's like 20 years ago. It's literally, it's unbelievable your generation, my generation. So basically, how old are you just about? I'm 35. So, so you're 35. So you're like one of the last people that still knows me. If you go to the 20 year olds and younger, they will know who we are. They don't even know Van Damme. Which is weird because I, I obviously I love the movies and I, actually, yeah. I collect VHS. So, oh, yeah, no, yeah. And so oh. I remember the best part about growing up when your mom or dad would drop you to at the rental store would be like, Hey, go get a movie. Yeah. Make sure it's clean. Cut. Like, like they, the, I, I grew up on predator. Robocop. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but I would go to the movie, the, the rental places and watch, Oh, there's Dawn of the dragon. There's Lorenzo Lamas. There's Lord. Yeah. Harry Daniel. Oh. And so I started like going out of my way to really find, like really appreciate these people. And the one common core out of all these movies is that you fought all my favorite people growing up, and in turn, become oh, one of my favorite uh, martial artists. Oh, that's so funny. That's so amazing to hear. And that's so interesting that you say that. You're literally one of the last ones who uh, went to Blockbuster, I assume, or whatever video neighborhood store you had. Uh, me too, yeah. Uh, that was part of my favorite thing, was to go to Blockbuster and to see who's out there. And then there's this film of Van Damme or Dolph or whatever, or anybody that I like, and it's already gone. And then you run to the front and you say, oh, is there anything? 
Let me see if it just came back to you or hold it, or I think I get it in two hours, you know. And I also did this, I, I have to be honest, this is so funny. So uh, I went, looked everywhere, and then I saw, oh, digital man is down there. So I put it back up and, you know, put it from the lower shelf in the, in the yep. kind of looking shelf or something, you know. And I thought, this is so freaky. This is so cool because this is like hands on, you know, watching movies. And uh, now, Quite frankly, uh, I'm watching Netflix like anyone else and Amazon, I guess. And uh, I'm almost not so satisfied anymore because there's like a thousand films and I don't know these people anymore. I know a few, but most of them, they're from all good movies, no doubt. But from all around the world, there's no more iconic uh, figures that I'm after. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like uh, I used to be a Steven Seagal fan. Yeah. Uh, Jason Statham, The Rock, and this and that. But it gets less and less. Like right now for me, like Scott Atkins is great. Yeah, um, he always delivers. Marco Devor, I believe. Uh, Kung mm. Lee. I mean, there's there's people like that, but they, again, after that, there's no one distinct out there. Like I grew up watching mm. the Chicago Bulls when I was a kid. Dennis Robin, these colorful characters, these personas. Right. I think Hacking right now, not only in sports, but entertainment too. Because now anyone can be the bad guy or bad girl in movies. And I don't know, if I, like yeah. I don't know if I like that. I don't like it. It's like Instagram. Uh, right. It's too much. And there's too many good looking girls, too many good looking guys with muscles and six. It's just, ah, oh, I can't see it anymore. And that, that means nothing. And uh, let me tell you, this is so interesting. And because you were asking me if it's ever going to come back. The reason it was like that, before social media, there was Hollywood, and you had to physically go to Hollywood, and you had to get an agent, and everyone in town knew the next guy or the next girl in their bracket. I knew every single big guy over six foot five with muscles that can fight. And Jean-Claude Van Damme knew every single other Jean-Claude Van Damme clone in town. We all know each other. Every single person. We walk in a room and we're all sitting there and we all know, okay, here we are. Let's see who gets this, you know. And that doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. I mean, I had so many friends. They're like clones of uh, One of us from Chippendales, uh, he did quite a lot of movies uh, with long blonde hair, Darren McBean. Oh, uh, Malibu with uh, Mary yeah, yep. so he's like a typical example. So take him times 10 people, maybe, were in town, dark yep. hair, blonde hair, in that, with that physicality, you know, many from Chippendales and what, uh, sitting there, and, and we're all sitting there like, oh, shit, you again, you again, okay, you again. Let's see who gets it, right? Uh, so that, that, that's missing now. I don't, I don't meet anybody anymore. Uh, for one, it's coronavirus. Right. But you there's know. also got a lot of people that could still do what you did or even do now. Like you haven't, oh, yeah. you, you say you're older, but you don't look any different than you would have. I don't think. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I just built my body back up recently. So I'm back to the exact same muscle and weight as I was in 1997. Because uh, the reason I did that, I walked in Bali on the beach. And then these fisher people came up and said, oh, we've been watching you for the last couple of days, and we were saying, you must have been really big at one time. And I thought, oh my God, 
at one time. That doesn't sound good. Maybe, and I did, I had lost uh, 25 pounds, 30 pounds of muscle because you can't keep it all the time. It's like a full-time job. So I said to myself, thank you because this is how I make my living. So now I packed it back on. And uh, yeah, I'm doing another movie uh, in about two months. Good. Um, keep hammering it out. Get, I'm doing it with Alexander Nevsky. Awesome. And it's called Assault on Rio Bravo. It's going to be a Western. Love it. Yeah. And Art Camacho is uh, most yeah. likely the fight stunt coordinator, second unit director, director. And uh, a lot of bad guys going to be in there, a lot of fighting, a lot of shooting. So. So would you do a, a action scene, and I'm gonna I'll go back. I'll start with say No Retreat, No Surrender Two. You're mm -hmm. working with Lord Abaddon or Cynthia Rothrock, or you're going against Billy Blanks or Bolo Young. You're going against top athletes. And yeah. Obviously, their disciplines are different in training, but how fun is that for you and challenging to be that person that has to fight these different people that, on their own, are legends like yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, uh, when I was younger, I knew that um, uh, I was just stronger and I'm a track and field athlete, but I'm not a professional fighter like any of them. Right. Uh, I'm not world champion, none, none of it. So I thought, well, this would be interesting because I have such a speed and agility and power behind me. Would I ever have a shot at that in real life? Uh, today, no, don't think so. Back then, more. So the other day, while I had nothing to do, I thought, why don't I start training martial arts again and then uh, challenge Billy Blanks or anybody in the business, Dolph Lundgren or whatever, and we do pay-per-view pay fight, uh, see who could beat each other for real if this would not be a movie, and then, you know, get some people involved uh basically wouldn't you for instance let's just say for argument's sake right uh you would have an opportunity to see scott atkins fight john claude van damme in a three-round kickboxing match right. or any kind of rules the whole world would pay 50 bucks to watch this i, I would because i would want to know in real life would john claude have a shot against scott atkins would matthias Hughes be able to beat Dolph Lundring? What uh, Billy Blanks beat Michael J. White. Right. Right. And so I had that in my brain and I started training martial arts much more and stretching and this and that. Uh, but there, there are certain limitations when you, oh, I'm 62 soon. So it's, I got injured a little bit faster, even though I have the same size, you know, I got injured. Now I have to have a surgery real quick. Uh, so youth is a huge factor, and we were all very young when we were doing this. So each of that, each of us had their own advantages. So uh, now that would be interesting for me now also to see. Let's measure up a little. See, you know, is who doesn't want to? Who doesn't want to fight Steven Seagal or something? Or anyone? And it's interesting because going through your Instagram and stuff, you're one of the few of your contemporaries that. And that, this is not a this is not a slight against anyone else, but everyone else seems kind of. I'm trying to think. The people I'm friends with Kathy Long, I'm friends with Lord Abaddon, I'm friends with Keith Cook, and so oh, yeah. all these guys are very active with still training martial arts. But a lot of your contemporaries are, they just kind of, 
and I don't I don't want to come off as because I'm friends with a lot of them, but they come <laughs> off as very like I've already done it. I'm not. I don't want to maintain what I had uh-huh. before. Obviously, injuries and age is a factor. But you are just seeing you in the gym or putting mm-hmm. the time in and stuff. It's like it's kind of inspiring that you still haven't lost that that urge or that drive to still maintain what you did before and push even further. I think it's so important because uh, I still want to do movies. I love movies so much and I write scripts and uh, I'm just waiting for that one film, you know, to come out with. And I, I feel we have a responsibility as an actor to be something for real. Not, you know, like Scott Atkins. I love Scott Atkins, huge fan of him. So because he trains really hard and he's for real. Uh, Martin Ford, I see sweating it out, but he's still young. So he almost doesn't count, you know. He's a big, uh, big guy. He, he's above the grain. I mean, there's always <laughs> there's always that one guy who's like, okay, you above the grain. I can't compete against you. That That's like outstanding, you know, and good for him because he can play these roles. There's room for everybody, right? And then there's uh, Scott Atkins, and then there's Martin Ford, and I'm kind of in the middle. So, yeah, no, I believe give it all till you finished. And I love that. Yeah, so yeah. in t- 2019, you release your book, Trails to Hollywood, which is amazing. Right. And it, it gets into the seedy part of the, the industry, but like how you kind of navigate your life to where you are now. And was that something you've always wanted to get your kind of story on paper? Or was there kind of like a fear or trepidation on your part of, I don't know if oh, I want out there like well, that. Good question, because for one, it's not easy to write a book. Uh, I didn't realize how difficult it would be. And I found myself in Bali at one point, um, not doing anything. I said, I'm going to write my book and I just write it. And I wrote 700 some pages in six months. And I wrote it all. I mean, we're talking about, I have stories that are out of this world. And my fiance at that time, she read the book and she said, Where's the delete button? <laughs> uh, I, I said, it's right there. So we deleted it uh, because I wrote everything down that had happened. And when you live in Hollywood, it's not all, it's out of this world, crazy. It's nobody's business in the end. It's like unbelievable. So she said, why don't you write it more uh like what was what was the outcome of all of it more rather than every every step what of the way learn about it, right what you learn right. i did literally every step of the way and some of it is just really difficult because trust me you can't just arrive in hollywood and be a movie star that is a long way to go and there are some some situations that are so devastating to you and others and people you know and they pull you down with it it's too much uh it's just it's not for everyone and I've seen, unfortunately, too much of shit down there to even recommend to become an actor. I wouldn't even recommend it. My, uh, right. You know. My last question uh, kind of encompasses everything. For someone that wants to get into the working out, whether it's lifting weights or CrossFit or just something to better their body, how important is making sure you eat right part of that lifestyle too? Because sometimes I find yeah. myself... I can do 200 push-ups, 200 sit-ups, 20 minutes, let's go. But then I'd be like, I used to drink like Mountain Dew and soda. And the sugar was yeah, too- yeah. 
and you wouldn't see like what you would get out of it. So how do you, if, if how do you help someone who wants to live both lifestyles healthily, but also enjoy that beer wide and stuff? Yeah, I think it's uh, the best thing I've, so I'm an extremist, so I do everything a lot. Um, that is the dangerous thing. People that live on an extreme type of lifestyle, drink a lot, eat too much, do everything too much. And then, then you sometimes go blow out of proportion. I've seen myself, you have not seen it, but I've seen myself when I let myself go look like this and suddenly I have a bit of a stomach uh, because, I, you know. And then, uh, but uh, you have to just learn to pull yourself back when it's time to pull. So keep, you have to have an eye for yourself. Oh, I just overstepped my my border now i'm starting to get fat i'm starting to get sloppy i'm starting to itch a lot and stuff you know i'm not feeling well uh you have to see that right away so currently what i'm doing and i think that works the best you eat uh if possible every three hours and you uh take a handful each time handful of carbs handful of vegetables and handful of protein and uh do that for a while but enjoy your weekends so let's just say yeah i really do uh i have a glass of wine on the weekend an ice cream maybe a pizza and by monday i don't see it but if i would have that saturday and sunday i'll see it on monday it always comes on the third day so sometimes i go get a hagen dash but i don't just get one i get two or three <laughs> and yeah and, and then two days in a row and, I, and I'm looking in the mirror, oh, see, I don't see anything. Didn't do nothing to me. Boom. On Wednesday, next week, you know, you see it. So now I learn to just have one hagen das because, you know, the pine, just do one. Or just have a glass of wine, but not three. Right. Uh, or Mountain Dew or whatever. Uh, so, oh, one, one really important thing. Why is that? The only reason you end up uh, doing something in life if you have a motive to do it. Meaning, so for me, it's easy. Uh, oh, I want to do another movie. People see me in the gym every day. They all know who I am. I cannot afford for them to look at me as, oh, that used to be that guy. Now look at him. So when I go to the gym, I want the people to look at me and come up and say, you're the guy I saw when I was 12 years old and you scared the fire out of me. So, and oh, wow, wow, you're still big. That's what I want. So I have a motive. And my wife, uh, she is 62. So, and she just entered the Swimsuit Illustrated 2021 competition. That's awesome. And, yeah, it's amazing. And she is uh, always a model, but she's still a model. And she, you know, she's in all, right now in all the newspapers around the world, blah, blah, blah. So she too cannot let herself go because she has a motive. She wants to win that competition, you know, or she wants to have a contract again, you know, for whatever line. So that helps if you are uh, professionally inclined or mentally, oh, I want to get that girl, <laughs> that, you know, whatever. I, I want to impress someone or right. I want to feel good. I'm tired of how I feel. Damn it, I don't want to feel like this anymore. But you gotta have a motive. Without a motive, you can't make it in life, right? That's uh you are very inspiring, Matthias. Very yeah. uh thanks, John. You've got a really but, awesome talk. And a lot of times when you 
when, I, when it comes to different, when it comes to actors per se, if I reach out to them and I do a talk with them, sometimes I'm kind of like, man, like that's not the person I pictured. And so for you though, it's it's weird because you always play the bad guy, but you you come off as like the you're you're a hero of your life, and so it's cool to oh, thank you. that interesting economy of that of your life. Like oh, that. Thanks, thanks, John. Uh, thanks for saying that. I totally appreciate it because a lot of times. It's so weird because people don't know who I am. And uh, yeah, you play back as I'm not necessarily bad all the time. You know, it's just on the movies. You know, a lot of people are always scared of me. Uh, for instance, I'm now in Las Vegas. I'm in a new gym. People don't know me. And the, I re realized the first month or so, they all walk around me and some come up, some don't. And eventually they all do. And they say, hey, you guys, come on, you guys. And then they warm up, but the first they're scared because you have that persona for me the best thing ever i couldn't believe it that uh i uh my agent said oh honk hogan you know he always sees you at golf gym and he he doesn't come up to you because you know you're so big and so i was like what he's honk hogan but if you don't know someone the facade and the movies uh you actually uh, think that's who they really are but there's usually more to it you know i mean i met so many big guys like uh shag you know, or uh, just big people, Lila Zedo, you know, people like that. They're so nice. Now, I, I said it was the last question, but now I'm curious. And I come in peace with yeah. Dolph. He's a big guy, too. Oh, it's, yeah. That's the first time I've actually seen him, probably the only time where he goes against someone that he actually might get killed here. Like, so, because he's not usually against a guy your size. And so, oh, yeah. that was. Yeah, Really fun testosterone-filled, just because the action pieces of that were awesome. Yeah, that was a fun time. It was a great time to work with Dolph. Uh, we weren't hanging out, that's for sure. Uh, he was on this world, and I was in that world. Yep. Uh, but I totally—I mean, you have to understand—that was my first big movie, and he was Dolph Lundgren from Rocky Four. He was so huge, so big, famous, and. I mean, the first time I saw him before I did I Come in Peace, that was uh, when he did Master of the Universe. And I just arrived in L.A. and I wanted to meet him, you know. And I waited in front of the door at that restaurant where I knew he would show up that night. And I wanted to ask him if I could do the movie with him. And then he came up in the limo with the bodyguards, the cigar. And I saw him getting out and I thought, oh, my God, this guy's God, godlike, you know. And He's way bigger than me, you know. I thought, no. Nah. But I still asked him. I said, hey, I'm new. I'm Matthias. Can I be in your movie? And he wasn't so nice to me. Uh, he kind of, like, it was my wake-up call, you know. He he looked at me up and down, and he said, ah, maybe you can be my stand-in, you know. But then again, he looked at me again, and he said, but I don't think you're big enough. <laughs> you know, he he kind of, like, didn't numb on me. But... That was so fun because uh, that motivated me to get bigger. And one day I said, I'm going to get that job. I didn't know I would fight him in a movie. But I just, you know, the next day I went to the real audition and I stood in line for hours with all the other big guys, you know, tall, big like me. And I said, I'm going to get this job no matter what. You know, I'm going to get my shot here in Hollywood. But I didn't get that role. But I got a phone call one day. And I walk into the casting office and 
the guy, the director, Greg Bexley, is a legend in Hollywood. He just did Action Jackson with Carl Weather. He, oh, he right. did all these TV series, you know, these uh, action-driven TV series in the 90s, 80s, and uh, Starsky and Hutch and whatnot, you know, 18. So I walk into the casting office, and he says, you're the guy. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm doing a movie with Dolph Lundgren, and Dolph Lundgren, I cannot believe it. He turned down that role. I'm going to give you the role. If you promise, you're going to do all your stunts and you're going to do, you're going to do beyond and beyond what you think you can do. I'll give you that role and it will be your movie and it will not be Dolph's. And I'm like, Dolph Lundgren? Are you saying Dolph Lundgren? And he said, yes, and I'll give you his role because he doesn't want it. He wants to play the cop. I don't know why. It's written for him. You play it and you become a star. And I thought, there it is. There's the answer. There is, and I was so big. By then, I was trained out. I was on my peak in my life, yep. you know. And I got that role, and I come to Texas, and uh, we did the movie, you know. I love it. Well, yeah. I, want, I want to thank you for this, Matthias. And, uh, if someone wants to find you, you're obviously on Instagram. Um, you're also Absolutely, on yeah. Anything else like that? Do you Facebook and all that garbage? Facebook, uh, Twitter sometimes. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks, John, so much. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, you're really good at it. Thank you. I was looking forward to it. And um, call me anytime, John. I will. Thank you, Matthias. Okay. All right, John.